Welcome to Center Ice. It is May 14th. I'm your host, Mac Vincent, here with Matthew Maynard, as always. Hope you're all enjoying your spring and soon-to-be summer. It feels great to have just less stress in our life now after just a crazy school semester, and we are really enjoying the playoffs. But before we get on to round three, which is happening right now, Great hockey if you've had a chance to tune into any of those series. Let's talk a little bit about round two. So the Sharks, it seemed like for, you know, three or four games there, seemed to have the Knights on edge. You're right, Mac. It really did seem like the Sharks finally figure out what pretty much all other 28 teams couldn't, and that's the Knights break out past their speed, and they're not the most physical team, but we did see they did match the Sharks' physicality at times in that series, and I was impressed. And, of course, Flurry was going to be Flurry. So, and, and for a little bit, they Sharks could... They did figure out Flurry at times, but it wasn't easy. And No, no I mean, he's been... I mean, we were out. just talking about this before the show. I mean, he, he's probably been the best player overall in this playoffs. Like, just... The way he's played, it's been absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, I just, like you said about the Knights, it just seemed like they had everything figured out. And then the Knights started skating again and started utilizing all their speed and skill. And then the Sharks just had no chance, it seemed, especially Brent Burns. And we've we've talked a lot about Brent Burns as a guy who's kind of reformed and he used to be this offensive dynamo and those, a lot of turnovers those first four games he was pretty good right and then you get into the back half of that series you can tell that he's still a very good offensive defenseman Definitely. but when you put him against top players and give him top minutes with say a vlasic he's going to struggle he's just not good enough defensively to match up to I would say most top sixes because he had a lot of trouble with that top line. And I was looking at some of Sinbin Vegas's tweets and I was like, yeah, he's 100% dead on. Brent Burns is not handling these top six forwards very well. So, I mean, I'm sure he knows that and I'm sure he's going to work on that in the off season. But I think the one thing that the Sharks can be happy about is, hey, like, They've got all this cap space now. They're still a very good team. They saw some players like Sorensen. Couture was quite good. You know, the development of guys like Hurdle and Timo Meyer. Like, they're still going to be a really good team. And so, I think, uh, I, think they're, I haven't seen too many rumors, but I believe they're still quite interested in bringing back Evander Kane. I think that was a great trade for the Sharks, and especially if they can keep him. I think he was leaps and bounds more mature, yeah. and a better player in San Jose. You and I, we talked at the deadline. We said, if Evander Kane will mature in San Jose under the veteran presence of a guy like Joe Thornton or Pavelski, this is going to be a beautiful trade. And we saw in the playoffs he was pretty good. And I think if you're San Jose, I'd want to bring him back. We'll have to see what type of contract he'd get, but... I think San Jose would be smart to bring him back. And as you said, they have cap space. Yeah, and they're also said to be very interested in a guy like John Tavares. And, you know, why wouldn't you be? But that, I mean, to me, I look at the San Jose Sharks and I say, I don't think anybody expected them to get this far, really. Uh, I didn't. At the so the so you, have to, you have to be proud of that season. I mean, yes, they got knocked out. But at the same time, when you run into Marc-Andre Fleury, who just plays incredible in the playoffs, remember earlier in his career when he struggled in the playoffs? I don't, because no. he's just on fire all the time. Um, and even in this Winnipeg series, he's doing everything he can to keep them in it. The biggest stru struggle I've ever seen Fleury do is, I believe it was the 9 playoffs where he tripped coming out of the tunnel for game one. Oh, that, yes. That's about the biggest... Uh, Slip up he has, and occasionally he'll have a off game, but all goalies do. It's just part of being a goaltender. But what we've seen from Fleury so far, these playoffs, definitely puts him in Consmith contention if the Knights were to go that far. 
I yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't count him out of it. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, we'll see what happens, obviously, with this series. But let's let's go back to the Winnipeg and Nashville series. I mean, I think it was almost everything we hoped for. The only thing I would say that robbed it of being one of the better series I've ever seen is the goaltending. I don't know exactly what happened with Pekka Rene, but he was not very good at all. I think he had, I would say he had one good game the entire series. I think you're right. Watching, I watched every single game. Yeah. And there were times where, especially in game seven, I was thinking, Rene, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. There, there were definitely a lot of pucks he should have had, but he didn't. And it, it caught me off guard because... Going into this series, as you said, you and I were saying this is going to be a goaltender's duel. And even at times, Hellebuck wasn't as great as we thought he would be. There were times. Right. It, the, the strangest part of it is that both teams are such good home teams. And I thought it'd be tough for Winnipeg to win in Nashville. It, Nashville's a very intimidating place to play, but Nashville only won one home game there. I give, you have to give the Jets credit on that one. Yeah, and it's funny how that series works because let's say the Jets didn't make it past this round. I mean, that round. I don't think their team would change a whole lot going into next season. But now you look at a team like the Predators where they're pretty much spent to the cap and there are certain guys that they're just not going to be able to bring back. Mike Fisher announced his retirement. We'll touch on that later. Hardinal won't be coming back. I don't think you're going to see the same team. And I think David Poyle needs to explore a little bit because it just seems like every year it's the same thing with the Predators. Everybody knows what the top line can do, but what do the other lines do? Kyle Turris and Kyle Turris's line was invisible in the series. And the third and fourth line, you know, they brought some energy. No, I don't think they had very many points. And yes, the defense is good. I don't think Ryan Ellis was 100%, but, I mean, that's not really an excuse. It's the playoffs. I'll admit the... Most people aren't 100%, The three players I really noticed from Nashville was Fiala, Forsberg, and Subban. Those were, like, the three that... Subban was terrific, I thought. I don't think anyone's going to argue with what Subban did. I thought Fiala was pretty good at times. Yeah, so I I wonder what's... And, well, Forsberg is going to Forsberg. Forsberg was outstanding. I mean, oh, man. Like, I know Ryan Johansson's a really good player, but can you imagine, I don't know, like a Nicholas Backstrom playing with a Philip (laughs) Forsberg? Now you're getting unfair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Caps fans. You guys are doing really well. Don't don't think about that trade. Please don't. It it happened. It's in the past. It's whatever. But anyway, like, uh, to me... I don't know if Nashville can get it done with what they've got. I mean, every team knows the book on them now. Yes, they have great defending. Pekka Rene, I would say now, going into the playoffs, let's say they make the playoffs again next year, they should. Questionable, I think. You know, hot and cold, kind of, streaky. So you've got that now, whereas before, I think, maybe not last season. Last season, he was quite good in the playoffs. But before that. But before that, you know, he's been you know pretty terrific in the playoffs i remember when vancouver played nashville years and years ago and he was outstanding he was the only reason that series was even close but it just seems like i don't know what's happened but it's something about him in the playoffs he needs to figure it out because you can't have your elite goaltender a guy that is up for the vesna play like that you just it doesn't really matter who you play against. Really, what you need is average goaltending or above, and you're probably going to beat them. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in Nashville. But for me, Winnipeg really started to figure out Nashville as the series went on and on. Definitely. And they use that speed a bit more. Game one didn't go the way I expected it at all. I don't think anybody... That was a really weird game. It was. And it, it kind of, yeah, it kind of set the tone for the series a little bit because Nashville was like Hellebuck played probably the game of his life that game. I think so, especially that third period. Just, But I think robbing. the one thing that I think we did touch on this uh, briefly in the last episode is that, I mean, Hellebuck was good. But the defense in front of him did a really good job of keeping things to the outside, preventing those big rebounds. 
So he needed to stay square to the shooter. Yeah, he needed to make some big saves, but he didn't have to be spectacular. And I think uh, they really learned from that game because Hellebuck in this series, and even in this series right now, I don't think he's been spectacular. He's just been consistently good. And And they've done a good job in front of him. And I think that's really what you need if you're a goaltender. Just be consistently good and be able to make big saves at a big time. That's about the most you can ask of your goaltender. And having good defense in front of him, making sure he can see all the shots, it just, he could face 100 shots a game, but if, let's say, 95 of those are clear shots, which he can see, he's going to save those. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's switch back to the East now. What did you see in that Boston and Tampa Bay series? That one kind of caught me off guard because... I was iffy on Boston going into round two, I won't deny. But definitely going into the playoffs, I thought Boston would do better than they would. And I remember you and I were talking in our last episode. We both said, Tampa's got that speed. And after game one, I was... And you and I were talking, we were thinking, Boston, off to a pretty good start, didn't play the best game in game one. But their guys are scoring. And they've got a real good chance to win this series. And then... Let's be honest, Tampa turned it on after game one. The, the guy stepped it up. Vasilevsky was pretty good. And let's be honest, Rasko wasn't that good at all. No, no. I think <laughs> maybe part of that was, uh, I don't know if you remember in game one when he lost his skate blade oh, yeah. and he decided to throw it at the ref. <laughs> good I'm, old temper to caress. I'm surprised he didn't get fined for that. I thought. Yeah, a little bit. Usually they, they don't like you touching or making contact with officials in any way. And that was pretty, that was pretty, uh, but I guess, you know, Hey, it's a skate, it's a skate blade. It's plastic. It's not going to hurt him. Maybe they're just like, we'll let it slide this time. (laughs) (laughs) Duke Rask has been pretty, pretty good the last few years, but I don't know if you remember when he was coming up in Providence Oh yeah, and he had that epic meltdown after he lost the game. That's going to be on the, uh, I mean, yeah, you guys can look that up on YouTube. He basically goes ballistic. His stick is chopped in half, and he is fuming. Furious. So the the Bruins have really had to work with him and get him to control that temper a little bit. But it does come out once in a while, and you did see it there. But, yeah, like you said, Tampa, I think the Leafs really wore the Bruins down because, yes, they had that, you know, great performance in game one but like you said it's arguable if that was a great performance or not and once again i think what we really saw was they're still kind of a one-line team i think you're right and as much as having talent and young talent on those lines like you know debras kynan is great if they're not scoring especially when it matters the most and, you know, the other team is scoring from, you know, two, three lines, maybe four. You're not going to win. It's, it's as simple as that. So, you know, the Bruins um, come next season, probably not going to bring Rick Nash back, I don't think. Um, they don't have a lot of cap space. They do have a bunch of young players coming up. I like, I like this Ryan Donato kid. I was surprised they didn't play him more. In uh, the two series they played, I think he's probably going to be a mainstay on the team. Um, But I think they need to kind of evaluate what they've got and say, you know, how can we take this team to the next level? They need to be, I think, creative. Um, But as we've learned, anything's possible with a team like the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, yes, you have to do your scouting and you have to be a little bit lucky, but if you have a good front office team with you and you want to win and you know players, I mean, it's definitely possible. I think we're going to see, like I've mentioned before, a lot of teams kind of give opportunities to guys who haven't really had them before because that was the Vegas Golden Knights this year. They gave expanded opportunities to guys who have never played, I guess with the exception of you know a James Neal and a Marc-Andre Fleury, in really top-end roles, and they've done incredibly well. And now they've got, not only do they have a really good team, but they've got a ton of draft picks and prospects coming up. I mean, definitely 
an interesting blueprint to follow for other GMs. But one thing I did hear about uh, David Backus from general manager Don Sweeney that I don't agree with at all, and I think most people don't, is he was quoted as saying, yeah, we still think David Backus can give us 20 goals, 30 assists, and 50 points a year. I don't see that from David Backus anymore. No, he's too many miles, I think, and he's think, not hes yeah, not a great right. skater. And he, he'll still put up a few points and a few goals, but it's not like he used to be. No. And I think, I think you, you're, you're either being naive or blind if you're thinking that, really. And not, no disrespect to David Backus, because he's had a good career. Yeah. But I think if, if you talk to him, I'm sure he'll admit he's not the player he once was. And, you know, so many miles on a guy like that. You remember how hard he used to play when he played in St. Louis um, and just, you know, all the years he played on that top line. And this is a guy who is piling up, you know, 200-plus hits and, you know, 50 plus points every year that's that will take its toll on your body and you know he actually i think in the tampa bay series either in i think it was in the tampa bay series he was injured on a big hit um so it'll be really interesting to see what they get from a guy like david backus but i don't know i i would almost rather give that role to a younger player that i like more or maybe trade for somebody but at the same time with the Bruins, I mean, they still have a lot to look forward to. They still have one of the best top lines in hockey, arguably the best. They still have Charlie McAvoy, who's absolutely lighting it up across the pond right now. He's, I think he still still has a bit of growing to do, I, especially on the defensive end. Yeah. Saw a few turnovers that he shouldn't have made, a few plays he shouldn't have made. But that's the thing with a young player. You're going to get games like that, and... They're growing pains. What I wonder is if, if he kind of takes the steps that a guy like Ivan Provorov took this year. I mean, look back last year, Ivan Provorov was a minus player. He was struggling to put points on the board this year. I think he had 50 points, a plus player, uh, really done a great job of working on his game, getting stronger, better defensively. I do think Charlie McAvoy is capable of that. It just We'll have to wait and see what happens with a guy like that. Do they, you know, expand his minutes and give him more minutes? I think you have to try it and see if he's at that level. And if not, you know, he's a top four and he's still working on it. What do you think of uh, the Bruins bringing Chara back next year? I mean, I I have no issue with it, but I, I don't think he should be playing number one line minutes. I agree. I, I think you can play him top four, no problem, but... I mean, you you saw it in that you know Washington series. I mean, he he yeah. had a hard time <laughs> keeping up with the speed. He really did. Excuse me, the Tampa series. Yeah, yeah well. Um, but even Sorry. in the Toronto series, I was telling you the Leafs need to skate around him. This guy's not fast. He you know he can block a shot and hit you five feet through the air, but like the foot speed is. It, it's really not there. So I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with a guy like that. Uh, but I do think they need to shelter him a little bit because, yes, he's he's still a very good defensive defenseman, but I don't think you can play him, you know, 30 minutes a night kind of thing. No, not, it, not at It's his just age too much for a guy like that. And not that Chara is not good. It's just his age and... It's like Bacchus, a lot of miles under him. And you, you, start, you have to start to turn down the throttle a little, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because he can still be effective, but just not the minutes you're giving him. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they move him to a second-line pairing at some point next year. I mean, Chara w- will probably prove me wrong, knowing Zidane on Chara. Well, the only thing is with that, I mean, who are you going to play on the top line? And that's the Krug? question, right? Probably not, no. right? So I think the, they have something with the Chara-McAvoy pairing, but maybe they can acquire a guy who can play top four minutes and play on the left side. And I think if they can, that would help them a, a lot because I think then if you put out Chara for, let's say, 15 to 20 minutes a night, 
you're getting the best version of Char and you're keeping him fresh. And especially when the playoffs come around, you've got a guy who can play a lot of minutes and then you've got Chara as well, who, I mean, just think about it. Having Zidane Char in the playoffs on your second D pair, that, that would be fabulous. So the Bruins have a lot to look forward to. It'll be interesting to see what they do in the offseason. I don't think they're going to do a whole lot. Um, no, I don't. I think you're going to see so. a pretty similar team. I don't think Rick Nash is coming back. I think they may, they may get rid of a few of their older players. Maybe, you know, a few of the bottom line players mm-hmm. make room for their prospects, younger players coming up. But mm-hmm. I think you're right. We'll see a fairly similar roster next year. Only difference will be Marchand won't be looking. <laughs> oh, oh, we need to talk about that. Yeah. I, okay, as much as I don't like Brad Marchand, I cannot wrap my head around why he continues to do this stuff. I, I just, I don't get it. Do you? I really don't. I mean, he's proven himself as an elite scorer, and he continues to do these stupid things all the time when there's absolutely no reason for it. Like, I was telling, you know, a bunch of my friends, like, let David Backus do that stuff for all I care, but you're Brad Marchand. And you have a reputation now, and people respect you as a skilled player, and you're licking people like Brian Callahan, who plays <laughs> on the third line for it just doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it was so weird. Yeah. And, the, and it, it the, happened twice, right? Yeah, and the weird part twice. is... Twice. Oh, yeah, Kalmarov. Kalmarov. Callahan, Callahan, and then another one, right? Yeah, I believe so. Three times. And I'm surprised it took the NHL that long to say... I'm surprised... I think the NHL was even surprised they had to go tell Marshawn, don't lick people. It's... Yeah, it, it really... Part of me is like, you know, maybe he just has a screw loose. But at the same time, like, I just... I really think that um, Cam Neely and the Bruins front office needs to have like a closed door meeting with Brad Marchand and say, "Listen, Brad, you need to stop this. Like, th- this is this is not part of your game anymore." And we've seen his antics cost him through suspensions, fines, and they affect yeah. his team. Yeah, when he's exactly on the sidelines. Not he, that the Bruins aren't a good team, but they're definitely missing a a big gear that turns that cog, right? Yeah, so, I mean, he tweeted out something recently saying, like, he's done with all this. Time will tell. <laughs> I, I, Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Time will tell, exactly. But it's just one of those things that I just don't understand at all. I mean, he's got to be the only player since, I don't know, maybe like an Alex Burroughs to do something that silly in a postseason and game. Burroughs isn't as bad as he used to be. no. I, I don't know, but, uh, but I, I agree with you. Like, it's just, it, it it really is crazy to think that a guy of that skill who's earned a reputation as one of the top players around the league continues to do things like that, that he used to do when he was a rookie. Exactly. And you, I think when they brought him in as a rookie, they thought, all right, these antics aren't good, but he's a young guy. He'll age out of it. But here we are, 2018, still doing it. And I think you're right. I think the Bruins front office needs to sit down with him and say, don't do this. Because mm-hmm. not only does it give him a bad look, it gives the Bruins a bad look, even if they don't deserve it. You know what I think I think kind of has happened over the last few years? He's been so good offensively that when he does something like that, they just say, you know what, he's he's doing so much for us, and you know, it's only you know five, ten games, whatever we can handle it. But when this kind of thing happens in the playoffs, that's when you draw the line, really, right? And I, I just think you're right. He's only hurting himself. He's only hurting his team, and there's no reason for it. There really isn't. And apparently, now I haven't met the guy in real life, but apparently he's a really nice guy. What kind of really nice guy licks people on the ice? It just, it's its absolutely like, mind-boggling. To be fair to Mar- Marshan, if he's trying to get under people's skin on the ice, I think he's doing a pretty good job of it. 
Oh, well, absolutely. I, I mean, mean if, you can. If he came up to you and uh, you're he, Callahan and he looks to, he of course you're going to He is the equivalent of Sean Avery, but he scores 80 points a year. It's <laughs> <laughs> that's I couldn't say it better myself, but it's kind of a weird combo, right? Oh, we'll never forget when Sean Avery taunted Marty Broder in front a, of the net. That that will go down as one of the funniest moments in NHL history, I think. Well, I wonder if Marty Broder would ever pick up uh, Sean Avery with his enterprise for his post-retirement <laughs> midlife crisis. <laughs> uh, if you've watched any of the playoffs on TBC, you, you've seen that ad. And I love it. <laughs> Uh, well, there's one more team that got eliminated that we got we got to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, and first off, gotta congratulate the Pittsburgh Penguins for two Stanley Cups in a row. I believe it was nine series wins in a row. Yeah, I mean, which they, is crazy. You, you can't say enough good things about the Penguins, but we're gonna say some not so good things about the Penguins. The Capitals. Figured out the book on Matt Murray, and boy, did they ever use that in the series. I mean, high glove, high glove all the time. Always. And he got absolutely lit up. He got burned. And I I think kind of what happened with Murray in this series is, especially going back to last year, the Penguins' defense in front of him was much better. But now, you know, you have less cap space. You've got a guy like... You know, Matt Hunwick, Jamie Alexiak, not the best defenders in front of him. Chris Letang, by the way, not what he used to be from, you know, the eye test on my part. Uh, a lot of turnovers in that series. Ole Amata, not very noticeable. A guy that I think they had high hopes for as a top four defenseman. Um, but, yeah, like, I think he is used to playing around a really good defensive team. But when the play starts to open up more and there's chances and a team really starts to figure him out, you wonder if he really is an elite goalie. I don't think I can categorize him as an elite goalie yet. I think he's very talented. But I think much like any young player, he's got holes in his game that he needs to work on. And I expect that Matt Murray is going to really work on that glove side because nobody wants to get beat glove side. That's like... The worst thing for a goalie, right? Definitely. Your trademark is, you know, flaring that glove up and robbing someone with a big save. But this series, that didn't happen very much, and the Capitals took full advantage. They did. And from what I saw from the Capitals is they just seemed determined. You kind of got that feeling from them. The way they were playing is, you know, this is yeah, no more, right? Yeah. And... It really reminds me of way back 2011, Canucks finally beat the Blackhawks. You know, Blackhawks had been punishing the Canucks for years, and they finally got past them, right? It's jubilation when the Caps won that game in OT. Oh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> it was funny. People were tweeting out things like, they made it past the second round, and I'm like, you know what? Let's give it to them. Let them enjoy it. And you look how they're playing right now, boy, they are they are absolutely determined. I think this is, and you and I talked about this going into the playoffs, this could be Ovi's real last shot at it, right? Yeah. And not that he won't decline in talent next year. He might. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, he is. He, I don't think so either. But, you know, there's always the possibility. And it's more of the calf space. That's what. Mm-hmm. And Carl, you know, Carlson's going to demand a lot of money. Yeah. And it'll be tough for them to hold on to him. But but what it, what else did you see besides, obviously, Murray wasn't great? You know, I mean, one thing I noticed, obviously, Crosby was pretty good. But one thing I really noticed was the Pittsburgh bottom six was not very good at all. And the guys that, I mean, Washington has basically brought in to fit under the cap, like a Chieson, like a Smith Pelly, like a Brett Connolly, those guys were pretty darn good. Chieson, from from his days in Ottawa, he did show signs of what he's showing in the playoffs now, but he's just taken his game to the next level. I think a lot of those guys know that this is their shot. And it's amazing what the playoffs will do to elevate your game. Mm-hmm. 
mean, look at Gensel, right? 21 points in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It, there's just there's those guys who go to the playoffs and they elevate. And I he hasn't had a lot of points in the playoffs, but I I, I think Dmitry Orlov has been fabulous. I think. You're I mean, right. he he has shown people that there's another level to his game, and I've been a huge fan of his pretty much since he started out in World Juniors and he was drafted by the Caps. And I mean, people, a lot of people forget that this guy started out as like a real, just pure offensive defenseman, but he has worked and worked at that defensive game and become one of the better defensemen in the NHL. He shut down the Penguins a lot yeah. in that series. And with a guy like that, I mean, this is kind of an example of what you're going to see a lot from a lot of these young defensemen that are coming up. He's not the biggest guy, but he's strong on his skates. He can skate. He doesn't turn over the puck a whole lot, and he can score when he wants to. And he's a very unselfish player, I would say. He doesn't shoot to score very often. No, he's he's more of a pass-type player. Yeah. But those defensemen who can find those seams on the power play or on offense or even in the even in their own zone, find those seams that no one else sees, get those passes, they're very effective. Mm-hmm. And they're killer. The, the Capitals seem to find those outlets all the time against the Penguins. And we're seeing it against the Lightning in this series. They're finding those outlets, they're finding those seams, and they're taking advantage Let's not forget the Capitals are also a fast team. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I'm noticing is it seems like they don't panic anymore. They don't. It doesn't matter if they're down four-one. It doesn't matter if they've they've just like last game. I mean, they had two brutal calls go against them, and they weren't rattled at all. They just kept playing and playing. And I think Trotz has gotten them to realize that. Hey, sometimes there's things you can't control. Don't worry about it. Just play your game. We're going to get our chances. And, I mean, that game started out close. And as the game went on, they just took over the game slowly. And by the end of the game, 6-2. I mean, just pretty much the best road game you could imagine from the Caps. And now they're going back home. I mean, you can bet the Caps are going to be... What I would really, I think both of us, if anything, this year, as much as we like Winnipeg and the other teams, everybody wants Ovi to win a cup at this point. I mean, he's one of the best players in NHL history, and he doesn't have a cup yet. It'll be the equivalent of Ray Bork raising the Stanley Cup. It will be. It will be something that you remember for the rest of your life when Ovechkin raises that cup. So we really hope that happens. But... They still got a lot of hockey left. Yeah. I mean, Winnipeg is a very good team. So is Vegas. And Tampa Bay, we saw early in that Boston series, they didn't play great the first couple games, and then they really turned it on. So we'll see what happens. But I I like the Caps' chances going home. I don't think it's going to be a sweep, but I, I do think that they will get there. So let's head over to the West. We talked briefly about Vegas and Winnipeg, but let's get into more detail on what we saw in Game 1 because I think the Winnipeg whiteout was in full form. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Just Let's talk about the whiteout before we get into the actual game because... Did it, you see they they uh they nicknamed the street Whiteout Way now? Yeah, I saw that. that that's a real thing. They, they had a... They had a video of a construction worker putting the sign yeah, up. I'm I like, that's that. great. That's terrific. And the fact that they get more people outside watching, you know, it's like Maple Leaf Square mm. taken to the max. Oh, I mean, and yeah. When, yeah. Le- when Maple Leaf Square is in full form, it's fant- it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But what Winnipeg has done is great. And I, I think more fans, pardon me, more teams should do this because yeah, not, I not think everyone can go watch the game. It's it's not cheap to go to a playoff game. That much you and I can both agree on. <laughs> but I think getting fans together to watch a game, have a party, right? Yeah. It's, it's a good way to connect with the team, team there's, vice versa. And There's no reason every team shouldn't have those. It doesn't matter if you're at the bottom of the standings. A lot of hockey, and especially hockey when you're, you know, it doesn't matter how successful you are, is keeping the fans happy. 
And I can tell you that from my experience, um, you know, going to somewhere like Maple Leaf Square, it's it's amazing. And even like just as an example, like I was back in Toronto uh, to watch Game Seven. Did not end how I hoped it to end, but at the same time, like uh, my friend and I were trying to make reservations at like almost any bar downtown. Every single bar full, and obviously Maple Leaf Square full. So. Mm-hmm. The fans really get into it, especially when you give them a venue like that. And, you know, I think you're just going to see, like you said, more and more teams that will create that fan experience because there's really no downside to it. I mean, no, it's there isn't. the city. The city likes it because it's a big it's a big party. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people from Toronto that are going to Winnipeg just to go hang out in the whiteout. Oh, I wish I could. Well, but, I, I uh, agree because it, it, <laughs> from what we're seeing on TV. Yeah, it looks amazing. It really does. F- funny story. My dad was coming back from Washington, D.C. Uh, on Sunday, I believe, the ga- game day, right? And no, Saturday, one of the days over the weekend. And he actually saw Don Cherry at the airport heading to Winnipeg mm. in, his great, in his great suits and all, <laughs> and waving to the people, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's Don Cherry. Classic if you've Don ever met Cherry. Don, if you've ever met Don Cherry, he's exactly like you'd think he is. Amazing guy. If, if you ever get the opportunity to meet Mr. Cherry, great guy. <laughs> but let's get, let's get to the ice because... There was a hockey game between all that partying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're a Winnipeg fan, that was your dream game. Oh, I mean, they they rode the crowd for the first period. I would say the second and the third period, the crowd was very quiet. But what they did was they they did what Vegas does, and they, they challenged Vegas a lot. Because I, I've made this analogy before. Vegas... The way they play is they're constantly going at it. There's like no quit. There's no stop. They're always going at like 100 speed. It's 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 kind of crazy to think. But Winnipeg came out in that first period and they showed Vegas what their 100 speed looks like. And it was not pretty for Vegas. <laughs> so, I, I mean, but at the same time, I, I guess on a contrary point, the rest of the game, Vegas was probably the better team. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens tonight. I don't think you're going to see a blowout. I think it's going to be much closer. And I think as much as I, I don't even know how this is possible, I expect Marc-Andre Fleury to be incredible tonight. I think you're right. But I, I also wouldn't be surprised. You know, Winnipeg's going to come out strong, and I think Vegas knows that. And Because when you're... When you're the home team and your crowd is as crazy as Winnipeg is, you know that as the road team, it's going to be a tough first few minutes. But I think a key for Vegas will be getting that first goal. Mm-hmm. You got to silence that Winnipeg crowd. Yeah. And that, that's what Nashville did, right? Remember game six in Winnipeg? Na- Winnipeg came out strong. And Nashville just weathered the storm, mm-hmm. weared down the Jets, and got the timely goals. The, the, in that third period, not that Winnipeg wasn't trying, but there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on Nashville, mm-hmm. and the crowd was out of it. And I think that's what I'm sure that's what the talk around the Vegas room is. We got to weather that first five ten minutes of the game, get that first goal, and then just ride from there. It's going to be tough, but I think they can do it. We've seen them go into tough buildings before, mm-hmm. and. Going into the shark tank and winning is no easy task. And they were able to do it there. So I I think they can do it here. I think the biggest thing for Vegas, and I think they realized this uh, after game four of the San Jose series, is they have to remember to play their game. And as much as it can be really intimidating to face a team like San Jose or Winnipeg or you know anybody they faced in the playoffs, if they play their game with the speed and the skill and they're good defensively, they're going to get chances and you know, Mark Andre Fleury is going to be really good. He will. So I mean, I'm, I'm expecting kind of like a three, two, four, three game tonight. You think we'll see some overtime because the Jets. Oh, have, I would love some overtime. The Jets have only been overtime once and yeah, well, Kevin Fiala ended that one. A real lack of overtime 
in in the Stanley Cup playoffs yeah, so far. I'm like, noticing that. Yeah. I remember last year, just you could assume every game was going <laughs> to go to overtime because it basically did. Yeah. I think my Senators ended up playing in 11 or 12 overtime games. Holy smokes. Yeah. I, it I'm, was a lot of overtime, a lot of late nights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you got to love playoff overtime. I, I'm, I'm a huge like fan it. of it. Yeah. Nothing like it, especially when it's a big game. And, of course, every game is a big game, but when it's an elimination game and it comes down to overtime, it's intense. But I think one thing that Vegas probably needs is they need a guy like a James Neal, somebody like that to really step off and take a little bit of pressure off that top line because we know how good that top line is. But they need some help. Like in any Stanley Cup series, you're seeing – I mentioned Smith, Pelly, Connolly, Eller. These guys are scoring and probably not expected to. So you need guys like that to step up. Uh, you know, David Perron. David Perron has been very quiet in the playoffs. He's taken some silly penalties. Needs to be better. Uh, um, you know, I think Vegas just needs a little bit more from guys like James Neal. And I think you're going to see that. But at the same time, you know, what do you think Winnipeg is saying kind of in the locker room after that game? I think they're feeling pretty good. I would feel pretty good coming off a pretty good win, but I think they also they're they're modestly optimistic, right? They're they're feeling good, but I think they know pardon me, they're cautiously optimistic. They're they're feeling good, but I think they know that they've got a lot of work left to go, left to go, and they know that they know what Vegas can be. Vegas They've um, they've watched all the tapes. Everyone watches the tapes. They know what type of team Vegas can be. They know that when their lines are going, and Mark and Mark Andre Flores is gonna, as you said, he's gonna do what he does. So I think if you're Winnipeg, you you got to keep that speed up, keep turning up the throttle, because that's what really got Vegas in that first game. Right? Winnipeg came out flying in that first period, as you said. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I would be feeling good, but at the same time, I'd be a little bit worried because I don't think they should be too satisfied with the way they played in period two and three. I think period one was tremendous. I thought period two, they did all right. But period at the same time, was... like, I, I think it's great that they had that, you know, early start and the first period was fantastic. But what I really saw in that first period was they used a lot of their energy in that first period and they didn't have a whole lot. And Yes, they played good defensively. I would say they did sit back a little bit. A little. But I don't I don't know. If I'm Paul Maurice, I'm saying, you know what, guys? Like we played really well in that first. We need to do a better job of managing our energy and, you know, having a more complete 60 game effort. I thought the uh, second period was all right, but the third period was definitely, you know, Vegas. Vegas mm-hmm. wanted to tie that game and mm-hmm. they had some good chances there. I, I do agree with what you're saying. I I still would feel pretty good if I'm a, a player on the Jets. You have to feel pretty good after a, a pretty good win. Yeah. But you always do. But I, th- I think we're, we're both in agreement here that you, you should be happy with way, some of the ways you played in game one, happy where you are, but you know you can do better. Yeah. So any predictions tonight, <laughs> series? Ooh. It's tight, right? It's tough. I mean, I... I think Part of me thinks that Vegas is going to win this one. I don't think they're going to win the series, but I, I just think that one thing that I have realized watching Vegas kind of on and off throughout the year, especially in games when they play top teams, very few teams can handle the speed and skill that they offer when they're going like full throttle. So I don't know. I'm going to say... Vegas takes this one, but it's going to be close. Like I said, I'm thinking 4-3-3-2. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go with Winnipeg, but as I said, it's a toss-up, right? Mm -hmm. I could flip a coin right now, and that would give just as good of a prediction because it's a close series. And you and I talked on Facebook after Winnipeg won game seven, and we both agreed this, this one's going to be tight. You can't count out Vegas at all. After what we've seen Vegas do in these first two rounds and all year, I'm not counting them out, but I'm going to say 4-3 Winnipeg overtime. I want to see, mostly because I want to see an overtime game. 
Flurry and Hellebuck are both going to be incredible tonight. I think it really comes down to which goalie makes less mistakes. That's and which defense makes less mistakes because I think both teams are going to come out flying tonight. We're going to see fast. I think we'll see a fast-paced first period. We'll see them settle in as the game goes along, but it, it's going to be close. So, but I still have Winnipeg winning that series in six or seven. But I, but I've been ca- I'm going to be a bit more cautious this time around because I've bet against Vegas the last couple series. I'm going to say that Vegas does have a chance, easy chance. I'm not going to count them out at all. So it's going to be Vegas or Winnipeg in six or seven. Is how I'm going to call this. All right. So moving on to some other news, we do have to say that uh, Mike Fisher has officially announced his retirement. Over 1,100 games played. A nice career for Mike Fisher. Matt, any thoughts? Well, he, remember, he spent a lot of his career right here in the nation's capital. And I met him a couple times. Great guy he he's exactly how you think he'd be on tv if you've ever seen him interview very humble guy very did a lot of great stuff on the ice but he he's done so much off the ice if you if you follow the uh, predators twitter account you know he does a lot in the uh, nashville community and he does he did so much here in ottawa for chio and roger nielsen house and countless charities through the Ottawa area, and same in Na- with Nashville. And I think as much as his legacy will be remembered for a, a gritty, hard-working player on the ice who, you know, scores a lot of clutch goals, I think the w- I remember him is the guy who just does a great, if not, all, sorry, really good work off the ice, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Because there are those certain players... And, and he's one of those guys that everybody has respect for. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter if it's an analyst, a coach, an opposing player, somebody who doesn't really follow hockey. They know what kind of person Mike Fisher is. And obviously, you know, there's a reason Carrie Underwood is married to this guy. It's not just his good looks. Like, he's a really he's good a real, overall person. As I said, I met him. Really nice guy. And I think his, as I said, I think his legacy will off the ice, we'll go over what happened on the ice. And that's a good thing for because he did so much good. And you could also see the effect he had on both Ottawa and Nashville, especially in the locker room. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guy, a lot of the Sens veterans like Phillips, Neal, Alfredson, Carlson, they all talk about how great of a guy Mike Fisher was in the locker room. And same in Nashville. They all talk about how great of a, Locker room guy, Mike Fisher, he's a leader. There's a reason why he was captain, and rightfully so. So I got to clap for Mike Fisher because— All right, yeah, let's give him a— Well done, Mike Fisher. Because any he, Any personal memories, highlights with the well, Senators you'd like to talk well, about? Well, of course there was that one goal he scored against the Leafs in overtime, but, you know, we ended up losing that series anyways. <laughs> but remember— uh, there was a one goal, I think it was against the Sharks a couple years ago. That was a really nice goal, and I think it was triple overtime. and It was a great goal. And I, rem- I remember 09, it was January. And it, the Sens, if you follow, a lot of teams in Canada do this. They do the skills competition, and it's kind of their fun little day for the players to have fun and just skate around, see what the players can do. I was 10 years old at the time, and... Mike Fisher was my idol. I, I still have a f- poster of Mike Fisher at home. Because that's how... I'm, and he was like... I always thought when I was playing road hockey, Mike Fisher, he was the guy I always wanted to be. Because just I liked the way he played. I, I saw all the things he did in the community in the newspaper, and he was the player I wanted to aspire to be. And I, rem- I remember I, w- I went in, it was... 7 o'clock in the morning, I was supposed to present a check, and the person, the lady who's doing, running this thing, she comes up to me, and she said, oh, you know, you're going to come to center ice, what not like that, and she basically, I basically said, oh, so who, who's going to come and do the puck drop? She said, oh, you know, Chris Phillips, Daniel Alfredson, two legends on their own, and Mike Fisher, and my, my mom said my eyes lit up like a Christmas tree, because, and... I will say, Mike Fisher, really tall guy, 
especially on skates. I wouldn't want to take him on in a fight, but just meeting him and he took time to meet both my brother and I and, you know, he he was busy, right? He got a, the send skills going on, but he took the time, got to know us, really nice man. So, as I said, bravo to Mike Fisher on an incredible career. Hope he has a wonderful retirement with his lovely wife. And I do got to bring out one interesting fact before we move on. Did you know Mike Fisher is the only player in NHL history to play an alumni game as an official alumni? Played, the, played with the Senators on Parliament Hill in December and then returned to play in an NHL game. No. I mean, I, it's, I, it's an interesting stat, right? Yeah. I mean, who would have thought people track something like that? But it makes sense. Usually when you retire and you're an alumni, you, you don't go back to play. <laughs> but Yeah, no. And as a fan of the Leafs, and, you know, he did play on the Sens a lot during our big rivalry years, but I've always had a ton of respect for Mike Fisher. It doesn't matter what uniform he's wearing. And, you know, we wish him all the best in his retirement. But... Let's move on to some more news. Uh, We are going to talk more about the world championships as they go on further. Right now, they're still kind of in the early stages. So not a whole lot to talk about there just yet, but we'll continue to talk about that later on. I did want to say Kyle Dubas, named general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, something that I am very excited for and really kind of a changing of the guard at the GM position for the Leafs. I think you're right. And I think, I said before we went on the show, it's a bit early for me to judge Dubas. You know a lot more about the Leafs front office than I do. It would be like you talking about Pierre Dorn. We both know about each other's front offices, and we can give general comments. Mm-hmm. But you're the guy who knows the Leafs front office. From what I'm seeing from an outsider, I think this is a decent move for the Leafs. Time will tell. I think Dubas has proven himself before. And he'll continue to improve the Leafs. But as I said, it's really early. He hasn't made any moves yet. No. So, but I think, I don't think, I don't see anything wrong with this. No, I'm, I'm extremely excited. And I think this is going to sound really silly, but the, the biggest reason or one of the biggest reasons I'm excited is no more Roman Polak. <laughs> Praise Jesus. We He's all- gone. He's all, not coming back. We all know your thoughts on the all-star, you know, <laughs> in your heart and legend of Roman Polak. Oh, I mean, who I, in NHL 15, and this is a fact, I can take a slap shot from him anywhere and he'll score. Mm. It's incredible. Uh, he, I think, and let me talk video games for just a sec. Mm. I think... You're in agreement with me. NHL 15, 14, 13, 12, the slap shot is overpowered. Oh, yeah. You yeah. can sl- just a slap shot from anywhere, any difficulty, you're pretty much you to score. <laughs> and we all know Ro- Roman Polak <laughs> with Dion Phaneuf as his winger with his D partner. <laughs> no, yeah. but I, I think it's you're going to see kind of a different Leafs team. I don't think you're going to see Komarov back. I don't think they're going to bring JVR back. Like I said, I highly doubt Polak. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the backup goalie position. Garrett Sparks is having a fabulous year in the AHL. Some people are saying that they might bring him up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they claim McElhaney off waivers, so maybe you trade him or you put him on waivers if that happens. I don't think it's a big loss. I mean, the backup goalie trade market is virtually non-existent, right? Um But I think one thing that I can tell you about Dubas, just from, I guess, my knowledge of the Leafs, is that he's one of those guys that has really preached about analytics and about, you know, the new way to win in the NHL. So you look at some of the guys that he's been kind of scouting and looking at, and I think him and Mark Hunter, they're the reason guys like Mitch Marner, Andreas Janssen, Travis Dermott, Morgan Riley, all of these guys are with the Leafs because I think um, they're really starting to see how much speed and skill mean, especially in today's NHL. So, And the one thing that uh, I'm hoping for is that we don't lose Mark Hunter because 
apparently he really wanted the GM job and probably just as deserving as Dubas, but Dubas was the favorite all along. Um, it remains to be seen what happens with a guy like Lou Lamarillo. But, I mean, if you're the Leafs, like, there's I, so much to look forward to. I did hear rumors that Lou Lamarillo, I was reading the paper, apparently he might, or he's in talks with New York. Now, how would that Islanders. work? How would that work? Then, then what does Garth Snow do? I think... Is it, a, is it like a tandem where somebody be. is president of Hockey Ops, but somebody else is actually general manager? Apparently they... And this is all just rumors and speculation, so it could be completely off. But it is close to home for him. Yeah, and apparently they want to bring him in because they think he can entice Tavares to stay. And I think they also like his track record. Because mm. let's not deny, Lou Lamorello has a pretty good track record. I think Not the, perfect. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge um, with, I guess, Dubas is going to be um, kind of talking about what you want from this team and what kind of players we want with a guy like Mike Babcock. Because Mike Babcock has made it clear that he really likes guys like Polak and Komarov. But at the same time, obviously, you know, from what I saw, he seems to be quite a big fan of this Andreas Janssen kid. And I think one thing that Babcock always wants is guys to be, he doesn't, he loves skill, but he wants to make sure that, you know, guys are good in their own end as well. And one thing I would be really surprised at um, is if you come back next year in September, whenever the season starts, and Zach Kyman's on your top line. I love Zach Kyman, but he should not be playing top line no, minutes. He no. should be, you know, second, second third liner, third. right? Because he's a, he's a decent player. I like what he brings to the table, but he's not a top line player. Yeah, so I'm really interested to see what happens. I'm very optimistic, but uh, there's there's a lot of decisions to be made. I think the one thing I can tell you about Dubas is there's nothing he wants more than to bring a Stanley Cup to Toronto. And this is a guy that has put his work in. I mean, I heard a story about him on the radio yesterday. This guy has been working in hockey since he was 11 years old. Incredible. Isn't that unbelievable so he started with the Sioux working in hockey at 11 years old went to school at Brock um, got a job with them this guy Sheldon Keefe who's the coach for the Toronto Marlies is a guy that he brought over from the Sioux when the Leafs uh, signed him to be like assistant general manager so I mean he has sometimes it's easier for other people to get general manager jobs than others but I mean think about it how many years this guy's put in. I mean, he's in his early 30s now. Clearly, he deserves it. So you have to be happy for him. And I haven't met him yet, but it seems like he's a really, really nice guy, really a guy that you can root for, a guy that a lot of people like to be around, and he cares. He definitely deserves the job, no doubt about it. The amount of work he put in, and he made a, you know, the, assist, the GM does a lot of moves, but the assistant GM does a lot of things behind the scenes that we don't see. And I guarantee you a lot of the big Leafs decisions, Dubis had a fair amount of influence on, don't you? Yeah, and I I think that the front office uh, worked really well in unison. I think there were a few things they clashed on, you know, kind of with like Babcock and Polak and Komarov. But, I mean, I think for Babcock... I think the proof is in the pudding now after two playoff runs with Polak and Komarov and JVR. Maybe it's not working, right? Maybe. <laughs> so, uh, and I I think Mike Babcock is one of the best coaches. There's no question about that. But I think one thing he needs to be is a little less stubborn. I he, agree. He's, he's a very stubborn guy. And I think, I, I don't think you're going to see like, the exact same Mike Babcock. I think he's going to be a little different. I think you're going to see a little bit of a different Leaf system because we've talked about this a little bit during the year. Um, he seemed to want the Leafs to play that dump and chase style. And it you just, especially with a team with the skill like that, that's not what you want. I think ideally what you want is kind of something similar to either the way the Winnipeg Jets or the Nashville Predators play where they either have a defenseman carrying the puck into the zone or they carry the puck into the neutral zone, 
pass it off and break the puck in. And they only dump and chase when they absolutely have to. But anyway, that is going to do it for our show today. Thanks again for listening. I know we went pretty long. We weren't expecting to go for an hour, but there you have it. Um, remember to like our page on Facebook at Center Ice Pod. Follow us on Twitter at Center Ice Radio. And, of course, find us on iTunes under podcast uh, on Center Ice. And Next episode will be sometime before the Stanley Cup final commences. So Yeah, and we should have more to talk about then. I, I think we're probably going to – there's going to be some more news. Draft is approaching. Draft, Free obviously agency. world championships. There's, there's going to be a lot to talk about. So we will continue to do these episodes kind of throughout the summer. Not every week, kind of every couple weeks. It just depends – you know, what our schedules are. But, you know, we love doing it. It was great to be back, back here, back Definitely. on the air. So thank you once again. Um, and thanks for listening. Have a great day, guys.